Hello, you are listening to the Long Overdue Podcast, a production of the Decatur Public Library in Decatur, Texas. You are here today with me, Dawn, and Pat. Hello. Chris. Sure, I'm here. And Denise. Hi. And we have a very interesting episode today. You might think at times that this is a do we like murder mm-hmm. episode, but it is not. <laughs> How do we keep coming back to this subject? Because it's fascinating. <laughs> and we, you, and we keep roping Pat really back like into I it. Know, <laughs> I know. I have read and heard things that will never go out of my brain. <laughs> so uh, we are, we are actually, we have read books, all of us. Most of us. Most of us. About murder, but they're books that murderers were reading Mm -hmm. when they were caught. When they were caught or that inspired their... Or read in prison. Uh Yes. Okay. So So. more like a murderer's favorite list. (laughs) Maybe (laughs) book list. Murderer's favorite book list. Let me clarify. (laughs) Thank you. We're not going to talk about all those other things. And they weren't all murderers, were they? I mean, all of y'all, the ones that y'all read are, right? Yes, but some that were on the list were not murderers. They were just criminals. Right. For example. Martha Stewart. (laughs) 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 And what was her book? That they, that they put. So this is from an article. You want to tell us about the article? Denise? Yes, this is from an article called On the Reading Habits of Notorious Criminals, uh, written by Emily Temple for crimereads.com. Okay. And so Martha Stewart, because she is technically a criminal, mm-hmm. <laughs> her favorite book is The Standard of Perfection. And it's, it, a, it's about chickens. <laughs> What's perfect about chicken? <laughs> but I'm not oh. reading it. Uh-uh. Yeah, it's funny that we all just steered away. We from were like, that we're not one. reading that one. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I mean, I like chickens? chickens, and I would be interested, maybe, but no. But I'm like, is it about <laughs> but raising no. chickens? Is it about butchering chickens? Is it about cooking chickens? Is it about all of these things? It's it about be- the yes. symmetry of chickens. <laughs> yeah. The <laughs> spiritual so, significance of chickens. I don't uh-huh. know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they're perfect. <laughs> they no, they're not. lay eggs. They smell bad. They well, poop all over. They can be your pet. at you. <laughs> But you chop their head off and you eat them. Well, no. <laughs> they make I good pets. Know. They're no, they fun. Don't. Pat, Pat is you not having it. You don't. You don't like animals anyway, right? Well, I especially don't like animals that, <laughs> that smell bad and peck you, and poop all over and <laughs> smell bad and. Then don't. your mom wrings their necks and cooks them. No, that is not a pet. It can't be a pet if your yeah. intention is to wring their necks and cook them. Well, I agree with yeah, that statement. That's true. Yes. Although nobody told my little sister that for that, a long time. That doesn't, mean, <laughs> doesn't mean they can't be a pet. Okay. Well, yeah, if you have no intention of killing it and eating it. Yeah, but why would you put up with them if you don't have any intention of killing them and eating them? Well, some people show their chickens. Yeah. 
that's just <laughs> yeah that's just weird <laughs> show chickens look yeah. here's my chicken but they do that yeah with a, i know with a steer i know they do all kinds of things my brother yeah. shows rabbits oh. it's mm. just a weird thing mm-hmm, people mm-hmm. do with animals it is isn't it it is i think it is i agree Weird. Okay, so all of y'all have not been in 4-H before. No. We no. lived on a farm no. or anything, so. Oh, no, we had we had animals growing up, but we didn't show them. I'm a city girl, but my brother raised rabbits uh-huh. at our house. And we had chickens every once in a while when my parents moved out of the city limits. We had chickens, but it's still nasty. I, they were not mine. Mm-hmm. I love chickens. I do, too. They keep the bugs down. and Yeah. Okay. They're fun to have around. (laughs) Sorry, I agree to decide. They they creep out the cats. (laughs) No, I typically don't have that. Too much of that I would look for organic alternatives, but not if I have to feed it. (laughs) See, that's a a different thing. Yeah, understandable. Okay. Wow. We didn't even read that book. Nope. But we have thoughts about it. We have thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So what did we read? Well. Some of us. So my book was was a favorite read of Ted Bundy. And the Mm -hmm. book was Papillon by Henri Charrier. And it's... Depending on who you ask, it's either a memoir or it's an autobiographical novel (laughs) based on his life from the time he was um, arrested and um, charged and then indicted for murder that he maintained all his life. He maintained he never committed that murder. But then it kind of follows him through the next 14 years when he's in and out of prison and he escapes multiple times, but then it's caught again for various reasons and until he get finally escapes and becomes a citizen of Venezuela. So a murderer reading a book about a convicted... Uh, about a convicted murderer who escapes multiple times. Mm-hmm. So this was very interesting because, of course, I, I don't know, very, didn't know very much about Ted Bundy, but what I found out is that he escaped twice mm-hmm. from prison. Hmm. Yes, he did. And the second time he escaped, the first time he was caught pretty quickly, Mm -hmm. but the second time he was out for two years, three years, something like that, about three years, I think, and committed more murders and Mm -hmm. assaults and such during that time. So to have this kind of book as his favorite book, of course. Mm -hmm. I mean, this person, well... His inspiration. So he really is inspirational because his, I mean, his whole mm-hmm. thing is he was a petty thief. That's a funny term. Anyway, <laughs> um, he was a thief of not very much, you know. And But then, according to him, he was framed for murder. And once he was um, charged and then went through court and he lost his, his case and was sentenced to life in prison, hard labor in French Guiana. So he was in France, and he went through the court system in, I believe, Paris, and he was sentenced to hard labor in a prison, a penal colony in French Guiana, which is awful. Mm -hmm. 
And as soon as the um, conviction came down and then his sentence came down, he started planning how he was going to escape and then take his vengeance on all the people who put him there. The person that he thinks was working for the police to, to you know, give false testimony, the police who arrested him, the judge, the jury, everybody involved in that. Wow. It reminded me of Arya Stark's list, mm-hmm. you know, just that, that you would go over and over and over every day. You would repeat the list of who's going to die when I get out of here. And I'm thinking, you're not a murderer, but this is how you respond to, to <laughs> this. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I know it's a horrible thing, but good Did you get is. that reference? What? The Arya Stark's list? Yes. You did? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, Stark. I, I know enough about Game of Thrones to know that yeah. that was a Game of Thrones reference. Yeah, I guess if you heard Stark, that's but enough. So. I don't need it's to know the Tony details about Game of Thrones. Okay, so. <laughs> yeah. I just know there's two of us that are fans of that and two of us that are... Not. Meh. <laughs> okay. Anyway, sorry. Well, I know, that's okay. I was just making sure we all got it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, um... I guess I'll talk about my book now. (laughs) So this was really interesting because part of what I learned is about all the corruption that was... So this happened in 1930s. Um, He was... The murder happened in 1931. Um, He was convicted in 32 and arrived in French Guiana in 32. So his first... um, Escape was either the end of 32 or early 33. I think it was early in 1933. So this is what I know about French penal colonies is is what was going on in the mm-hmm. 30s, not now. I have no idea. I don't think they have penal colonies anymore. I don't think anybody does <laughs> that anymore. I wouldn't think so. But <laughs> anyway, I don't really know that much about the French criminal justice system. <laughs> so I, I don't know. Anyway... What amazed me was how corrupt it was and how much they got away with. Like, I mean, it was horrible conditions. But also, these, these men carried... Whoa, they had these hollow tubes that they carried money in and they put them in places where they would not be found. Uh-huh. Yeah, and there was this one time when when Papillon, he's called Papillon because he has a tattoo of a butterfly, Hmm. and um, (laughs) so, but he was, but there's this one time when they're they're get they're still getting to where they're going to be in prison, and this other prisoner says to him, "I need you to carry my plan," which is what they call these little tubes. He says, "Okay, sure thing, buddy." There's a second one going in there. Oh, my gosh. Oh, um, it, it was like, huh. But one of these guys had like 25,000 francs with him. The other one had 10,000. I mean, they had money, money, money. How did they get that money? I don't He didn't really say. So many questions shouldn't be but asked. It, it's really, <laughs> it was so interesting. And... So he gets to the first place, and it's the Devil's Island off the coast of French Guiana. And so there's a, there are prisons on the mainland and then on several of these islands out in the, in the 
Atlantic side, I guess. All French Guiana all, is on the Atlantic. And um, so he gets to this place, and he he learns from someone who is a who is a oh uh, what's that word returning criminal uh, recidivism yes um, who's a returning criminal that still didn't figure out how to use that word in the right context <laughs> um, that the best way to escape would be from the the hospital ward that it's the easiest because you have fewer people guarding and all that so he gets himself taken to the hospital ward. Mm-hmm. And he finds two other people to escape with, and they pl- plot this whole escape, and they do. They escape. And they they end up... Somebody gives them a boat and takes them to a certain part, and then they have to hide, and then they go farther in the boat, and then they have to go to the island that's the leper colony Ooh. to get another boat because this one's not seaworthy because they have to go out into the ocean and then come back in the mm-hmm. right place because they have to avoid, of course, any place that's French. Mm-hmm. They have to avoid any place that's a British territory, generally speaking, because those are going to have extradition, mm-hmm. you know, um, back and forth. What's that word? Golly, my words are not coming to me today. Agreements? Agreements is good enough. Yeah, that's not the word I was <laughs> thinking of. Treaties. I don't know. (laughs) Whatever. Um, So let's see. Um, And so they're trying to get to a a particular place. And so they have to go way out into the ocean and come back. So they, but it's the weirdest thing. They get on this leper colony and they go in and they just talk to these lepers. And the lepers just say, well, don't eat after us. Don't drink after us. Don't touch us. You know, but we'll give you the cup that we wash, you know, that the, the person who comes who's not a leper uses, you know, that kind of thing. And they sell them a boat. Of course, they've got all this money, so they buy a boat from these lepers. Of course, the only thing the lepers can use the money for is to buy stuff from the guards who come once a week. And they're not really supposed to do that, but they do. Mm-hmm. It, it's just the most bizarre thing. Mm-hmm. But There were still leper colonies? Yeah. Well, and these were prisoner lepers. Oh, okay. These were prisoners. So, But they were on one island together. Okay, that makes sense. I yeah. was like, that sounds terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's just kind of, the whole thing is very interesting. But they, they get away... And they end up not coming back quite where they intended to, but but they're they're back in South America, cent- southern Central America, kind of in there. I don't I don't know my South American geography very well, but um, they're kind of in not. They're trying to get to Venezuela, but they don't quite get there this time. They they're near Colombia, but it's on the border of Colombia and maybe Venezuela. But they're not quite where they want to be. But it's it's just really odd. Like back and forth, they go to certain places and they find people who, oh, you were prisoners in French Guiana. Check in with the police. Let them know you're here. Nobody will bother you because we think that's a horrible thing and we don't support it, so we won't put you in prison. But check in because then you're legal here. You know, then you're okay. And then there would be other places where if the police found out they were there, they would immediately be thrown in jail and sent back. Mm-hmm. So it's just really odd. But during this first time that he's he's out, he ends up going to this, trying to cross. It's the border of Colum- I, 
it's got to be Colombia and Venezuela. And there's this tribe of Indians, the Guajiro Indians, that they, they say, don't go near these people. They're bloodthirsty savages. They will kill you as soon as they see you. Don't go anywhere near them. Well, he goes through there and makes friends with them. Marries two wives while he's there, both of whom are in our, you know, from our side of looking at this, they're underage. Like the older one is 17. Mm. And then when when she thinks that he's going to leave, she brings in her 12-year-old sister. And at first he just says, uh, no, thank you. Uh, you know, it's really interesting because part of what keeps coming up throughout this book is... You know, he's just really such a nice guy. I know. And he, oh, he, but he is. He's just such a nice guy. He's a good guy. That's what he keeps saying about himself, right? Yeah. Of course. I would say about myself. Everybody says, oh, Poppy, you're just such a good guy. Why, you know, why are you doing this? Or why did you decide you need to leave us? Don't ever leave us. We love you. Mm. Really? But it's like, so I was listening to an audiobook, and and the guy who was reading this, I don't know when it was recorded, but the book was published in 69. Um, so I think the audiobook is pretty old, and I think this is the reason. It, I had a downloadable audiobook, and we were just talking about the fact that it was all in one track. 18-plus mm-hmm. hours, all in one track. So... Only in certain devices can I adjust where I am or move forward or go back or anything like that. So I'm pretty much just listening, straight, <laughs> straight forward. So I can't go back and hear something again. But um, it, it's just really interesting that to hear this voice saying, and then they said, oh, Poppy, we love you. You're such a good guy. We want you to stay with us forever. Oh, but I have to go back and take care of this, and I have to do this. And I promised myself that I would take vengeance on all these people back in France. <laughs> it, it's, just, it's just the most bizarre thing. But, so let's see. Both of his wives were pregnant when he left. Um, he ended up having to go back and getting put in a different prison not back where he was on devil's island near Mm -hmm. devil's island but um in another country that was going to extradite him then but he had to stay there for a long time because they said not that he had killed anybody or done anything like that there but he was trespassing he was he was in the country illegally and so they put him in prison and he was in this prison where because of the situation they had found him in, he was in a dungeon, which flooded every day. Every day? Every day. <laughs> when the tide came in, wow. the dungeon would flood. And so, depending on which cell you were in, that determined how high up the bars you had to climb every day to try to stay out of the water. It, it only... <laughs> he said, the, the other prisoner said, don't worry, it only goes up to about your stomach. Uh-huh. But because it's so wet, they've got mosquitoes everywhere. Mm-hmm. Every time the water comes in, there's these tiny crabs that come in with it and will pinch you. And these millipedes that live in the water, <gasps> apparently. Yeah. So, like, and you can't possibly climb high enough to get out of it completely. Uh-huh. You just climb high enough to, to be just standing oh in gosh. it. So it's just awful. And then when the tide goes back out, you've got this 
bed of slime. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. He was in there for, I think it was 90 days is how long he had to stay in there. But then he got out, and that's when they sent him back to French Guiana, to the, to the prison there. Um, anyway, oh my goodness, it was, just, it was just awful. Well, he got away from, from another place, but didn't stay away very long. He got, he got nabbed again pretty quickly and went back to where he had started. And because he was an escaped prisoner, when they got him back, he had to go into solitary confinement mm. for two years. Wow. So he was, he was, he had originally been um, sentenced to life at this prison. And so because they knew he wasn't going to get out, you know, on parole or anything like that, that was never a possibility. Every time he was put back in prison, his whole mindset was, I've got to escape. So he, after his two years of solitary confinement, he had been on rations of one roll and a cup of water every day for like four months of that time because the, the warden had found out that his friends were sending him cigarettes and other food. And so he got in trouble. In addition to them getting in trouble, he got in trouble. And so, oh my gosh, it was just amazing. And so anyway, he finally got out of solitary confinement. And the two men that he had escaped with the first time were back, of course. They had been been nabbed before he was. And um, one of them had been hurt. He had hurt his leg the very first escape. And he had gotten better, but then it kept bothering him. And so by the time um, Papillon got back with them after this two years in solitary confinement, um, the, the man was just, he was just bedridden completely. And he only lived like 10 more days wow. after they all got back together. Um, but he, he had been on some extra medication and something else, and he asked him just to stop giving him that because he was in pain and he knew he wasn't going to get better. So about 10 days after Papillon got out of solitary and got back to his friends, um, this man died. It was, I mean, it was just... So when he, when he finally got out and got back into the regular prison life, it was this whole negotiation about where they were going to put him, and it all depended on, you know, he was going to make friends with this person, this guard, and this over mm-hmm. here, and give this person this kind of bribe. So he ended up saying, I don't want to go. There were three different islands. One was the island of the what they called the good guys, and these were the, the not career criminals. And then there was the evil people who were the psychopath kind of people. And then there was the third island of the people who were associated with the underworld. And he said, that's where I want to be. That's where all my friends are. <laughs> <laughs> but then when he gets there, this is, this is, this is the worst of the, of the corruption and the bribery and all this. So they didn't even get food unless they paid for it. Wow. So this guy would come in in the evening and he would have this tray full of steaks. And if you had the money to pay for a steak, you got a steak. And if you didn't, you didn't. How do you get the money? Well, so here's another thing you want to do. They played high stakes poker. 
I think it was poker. I mean, it was high stakes poker. (laughs) But you know where they're getting the money out of these little things that are stuck, you know. Right, right. All right. But anyway, um, so he talks about you want to be the croupier because not only do you play, but you get 5% of everybody else's winnings at the end of the night. But there's only so many spots for the croupier. And if you go to the group and you say, I want to be a croupier, and they say, no, we don't have an extra spot, you say, I want his spot. Then you two go out and fight to the death. Whoever's going to, you know, whoever dies doesn't, doesn't get to be croupier anymore. <laughs> well, yeah. You know, <laughs> the winner gets to be the croupier and gets to have money. And then you're also paying all the people who... Um, provide the food for the meal while you're eating, the snacks, who bring you the beverages while you're doing that, who provide the cards, who provide the lanterns so you can see, because they play overnight. Uh-huh. That's, that's mostly when they play. It's middle of the night. Um, you, you provide many... Um, I'm trying to think what else, what the other things were. Um, Might have been people who... who you paid to bring you a jacket if it got cold or, you know, things like that. You also could pay the people in the, the medical ward to, to give you a fake diagnosis so that you could get out of where you were. Like a fake diagnosis of tuberculosis would get you out of the regular prison mm-hmm. and into the TB ward. That sounds like a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. The problem being, right, if you go to the TB ward, you might really get TB. Same thing with the leprosy. Yeah. You know, you, you get a, a fake diagnosis of leprosy and get off on this other island, but then you're with lepers. Mm-hmm. You might actually get leprosy. Mm-hmm. So, so what would be the point of that? To, to, to get to a place where it's easier to escape. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. Um, so what ends up happening I didn't get to hear this part of the book but what ends up happening is finally Devil's Island is is this one island in this this group of uh, prison islands that supposedly is inescapable but he's figured out that this is the only place he's going to be able to finally escape from if he manages to do it again so he gets himself put over there. For, for a while, he's trying um, the, the clinger way to go, like that I'm, that I'm um, in, insane. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't work out because there's no place to escape from, from wherever you go when you're insane. So he gets cured. <laughs> he's suddenly all better. He's suddenly cured of his insanity and goes back, but somehow gets himself put on Devil's Island. And he and another, another guy figure out that there is one place that's it's bluffs but if you anything that you drop off into the water the seventh wave is high enough that it'll push you out from the island so that you can go on out into the main part of the into the ocean instead of coming back to the shore so how do you know which one's that you have to just count you just you just keep going so Anyway, they figure out this way. They make a raft out of coconuts. <laughs> okay. And, and go. And they get away. And he makes his way to Venezuela, becomes a Venezuelan citizen, uh-huh. owns a restaurant. And that's where he's living when he writes his memoir. So Ted Bundy mm-hmm. apparently was inspired by this man's relentless pursuit 
of escape and freedom. Wow. Just crazy creepy, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So did he try to get... um, Did he try to do things so he could get caught so he could just escape? (laughs) No, he didn't. (laughs) But he did plan... I mean, he did some extraordinary planning of escapes. Mm-hmm. Like one of them, he, he found out um, he could, let's see. I just found out all this stuff, so I don't have it in my, in my brain well yet. Um, but the first time he was in prison, I think he was in Utah. And that's where... Um, he decided to be his own to make his own defense so he didn't have a lawyer so because he didn't have a lawyer he was his own lawyer mm-hmm. there was some rule about he he didn't have to wear his handcuffs and his his leg irons mm-hmm. so he convinced somebody he needed to go to the bathroom no not the bathroom in this case it was the the law library Mm-hmm. And he got around in one place where he could hide behind a, a section of books and climb out the window, and he did. Wow! Yeah, and he was just, just gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just incredible. Hmm. It, but he got caught pretty quickly after that. Um, I don't remember why he got caught real real fast after that, but he, he did. Uh, five days. In the middle of the the woods, and he couldn't couldn't hack it, <laughs> which I totally understand. I wouldn't be able to. I'd be like, "Well, <laughs> it's been two hours. I guess it should go back." <laughs> so it was after that he was in um, in prison in Denver. Mm-hmm. They they took him there for trial, and that's w- oh maybe that's where he jumped out the window. Mm-hmm. That's where he jumped out the window. Yeah, but then they, well, he managed he to get himself off into the mountains and yeah, he managed to get himself to Florida eventually, mm-hmm. where he had. It, this is so so Ted Bundy. I, there is no explanation for this man at all. Depending on who he was talking to, he told a completely different story about his childhood, his upbringing, his high school years, the the girls he dated, about the people he murdered and what he did or didn't do with them, about mm-hmm. where he went and what he did. It, he, he told so many different stories that nobody knows what the real story is in a lot of cases because he would just straight face tell some one person one thing and somebody else something completely different. How could you... I guess you really didn't have to keep track of no, it. No. telling something new every time. Yeah. I mean, some of it just naked up stuff. Some of it's true and some of it's not, I'm sure. But yeah. what and what, I don't know. Hmm. But it it's like I can I can really see how he would idolize Papillon. Mm-hmm. Well, and the other it, thing just that crazy. you mentioned, too, is that he was such a nice guy. And everybody said that. And that's what everybody said about Ted Bundy. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. He was such a nice guy. Yeah. Oh, it was it was interesting with Ted Bundy. One of the things that he told somebody af- after he was in prison in Florida for the last time um, that he was in prison, 
he told somebody, you know, when I moved to Florida, I planned to to come cl- to be clean and and just you know get a job and and you know make a life for myself. But then he went to interview for a job and he asked him for ID, and he hadn't thought that through. <laughs> it's like really thought about everything else, huh? Yeah, apparently, but. <laughs> He didn't think about the fact that he was going to have to produce ID and tell mm-hmm. them who he was. So, oh, well, never mind. I'll, I'll just go back to thieving and killing people. Because Good grief. nobody really? makes fake IDs. Nope. You got to know who to approach about that kind of thing, Dawn. <laughs> well, oh, well, that's <laughs> true. You can go up to someone and be like, I need a fake ID. You just true. didn't walk in those circles, I guess. I mean, you can't just like go in the library and make one on the computer? And <laughs> no, you cannot. Not at that time? <laughs> Thank you, Chris, for bringing that up. Because we want to make that clear. No, you cannot. <laughs> so what kind of an offense is that? Is it a federal offense? Federal yes. offense. That would be identity <laughs> theft, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that too. Hmm. Or, yeah, something no. like that. Just don't do it. Yeah, just, yeah, don't, just do don't. Just don't. <laughs> just don't. <sighs> well, is that enough about him? Well, you were very extensive. Golly. Yeah. I have I, some things to say I about my just, guy, but... I was just overwhelmed with how much there was uh-huh. yeah. this, this book and this guy's story. But, oh, so... After his book came out, and after the movie in 1973 starring um, Steve McQueen, Steve yes, McQueen, okay. <laughs> there have been many, many people who came out of the French penal colonies of the 30s and 40s who said, "No, he did not do he all made these it things. All up. No, <laughs> not that he made it all up, but that about there was one guy who said." About 10% of what's in that book really happened to him. The rest of it happened to other people. And he just oh. took that story mm. and made it his own. So it's really interesting. It, it would be very interesting to know what is real. So the Steve McQueen movie in 1973, his co-star was Dustin Hoffman. Mm-hmm. But this, this was remade last, like two years ago in 2017. With Charlie Hunnam, um, the oh, what? Where has he been on Excalibur? Sons of is he in Sons of Anarchy? Mm, I, think, I so. think so. And um, Rami Malek was the oh. co-star, the the Dustin Hoffman character from the other. But anyway, it it it's just very interesting how much of this is real and how much is not, and. Mm-hmm. It's just an interesting thing to think about. Which is interesting when you talk about it in that respect, too, that Ted Bundy lied about oh, yeah. all this other yeah. stuff, mm-hmm. and then he's... Oh, yeah, and they they both thought that they were, like, the greatest. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I'm sure... I'm, I'm probably not going to listen to the last six hours of this <laughs> Yeah. Done here. But <laughs> if, I were, if I were to listen to the end, I'm sure he would wrap it up somehow by saying... What a love, you know, what a uh-huh. great guy I am, you know, and, and life is good, and I didn't deserve all that, even though I planned to murder millions of, you know, all these people who did me wrong, and, and he <laughs> did actually murder some people. So, I was just listening as I, as I came back from lunch. Uh, sorry, I, this is just so no, interesting. It is so interesting. See, it is interesting, <laughs> right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <Got her hooked. laughs> No, I don't want to read about serial killers she's like, anymore. She's like, I like reading about 
fake things that happened. <laughs> and now that I know that he lied about 90% of this, I'm okay with I'm it. I'm okay with it. <laughs> but so, so this part really happened, though. Um, before he went out to Devil's Island, when he was first out of solitary confinement, um, the warden called him in as soon as he came out of solitary confinement. The warden called him in and said, look, I know you, and I know that everywhere you've been, your main purpose in life has been to escape. I am five months away from retirement. I want an agreement from you that you will wait until I retire and I am gone before you try to escape again. And he said, okay. Wow. <laughs> so he did. So then when the guy was gone, it was like three or four months after that before they got everything in place and all this, and he had another guy that they were going to escape together. Somebody told on him. Somebody found out about it and, and ratted him out. Mm. And so they were caught the night they were putting their raft together to to sail off. He knifed the guy and killed him. Like, within three days, mm -hmm. this guy yeah. was dead. The I guy who ratted that. him out. Yeah. And it's like, wait a minute. You you said you weren't a murderer. I thought you now, were a nice guy. You're suddenly a murderer. <laughs> but he deserved it. You know, really? Snitches get Golly. stitches. But I wasn't a murderer to be put in this place to begin with. It turned so, me into this. If I That's hadn't right. been framed right. and ended up in prison, I would I never have been a murderer. <laughs> I never would have committed murder. It's just... Okay, I'll stop talking about it. <laughs> Golly, it's just incredible. It's fascinating. It It's pretty fascinating. Yeah. Wow. So mine also has a butterfly connection. Yeah? Yeah. Mm. So mine's called... The Collector by mm. John Fowles. That just sounds freaky. It does. Okay. <laughs> I'm hoping he's collecting butterflies. He but. does collect butterflies. <laughs> at first. <laughs> yes, at first. Oh, my God. Um, he, his name is, the main character's name is Frederick Clegg. Mm -hmm. And he is, oh my gosh, he's Mr. Ordinary... No one pays attention to him. Not handsome. You know. Dull, dull, dull. At least he seems very dull. But he wins. Oh, this is very British, by the way. So there's a couple of things that I was like, oh, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> but he, he wins the pools, which is like the lottery. Mm -hmm. Oh. And so okay. he wins a ton of money. Oh. And so now he's got all this money and he can do whatever he wants you know mm -hmm. um he lives with his aunt and his cousin and because of all the money like they wanted to go visit family in australia and so he's all like yeah take a cruise you guys go you know have fun mm -hmm. and they're like well you come with us like you know it's our family and he's like no nah, i really don't want to do that <laughs> i don't really i don't actually really like you guys but here's a bunch of money you guys go and so Throughout all this, he is very fixated on a 20-year-old woman named Miranda. When he used to work his little office job, he was across the street from the Slate Art School. And so he would watch her get there and leave. And, you know, sometimes he would be on the same train as her. Accidentally. And, yeah, accidentally. And so he became very fixated on her. And he was sure that mm. she was the one. But, of course, because he was 
Frederick Clegg mm-hmm. and not, you know. A normal person? Yeah. Not <laughs> normal or interesting or anything. He was like, you know, that he didn't really have a chance with Miranda. So he was just going to watch her from afar because that's not creepy. No, not creepy. Not at all. <laughs> Until he wins all this money. And then he thinks, you know, that maybe because he's rich. But then he's like, no, I don't think she's that kind of girl that's going to date me because I'm rich. Oh, go drink a beer. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So, and the way he's telling... The first part of this book is all in his perspective. And the way he's telling it is kind of like, all this kind of just happened by accident, Uh (laughs) y'all. Like, he had no intention of buying some little cottage out in the middle of nowhere that had two cellars. Uh, (laughs) He had no... Wow. It just kind of fell in his lap. And he was like, well, you know, I mean, that's a pretty good deal. (laughs) Two cellars? Yeah. Wow. And so then he was like, you know... His aunt always wanted a little cottage out in the middle of nowhere. When they came back from Australia, you know, he'd have it all nice and set up and everything would be great. You know, there's two cellars. And so there is the outer cellar and then there's an inner cellar. Mm-hmm. And so he sets up that little inner cellar, kind of like a nice little bedroom. for A man cave. No. No. <laughs> A, not a bedroom for who then yeah <laughs> okay yeah you know because he's planning on inviting her over to be his guest but why would he put her in the cellar i don't know so yeah like oh. the way he's telling it is like this kind of all just happened accidentally another just like, unreliable narrator yes <laughs> and i'm like really so but he sets up the inner cellar like a bedroom mm-hmm. reinforces the door Add some bolts to that. Then the outer cellar, he kind of ma- turns into sort of like a little kitchen. And then he also reinforces the other door and adds some bolts to that. Okay, and- stop for just a second. <laughs> Pat's book was somewhat true-ish. Is yours any? No. And this is fiction. Oh, yeah. Okay. Totally fiction. Okay. And so he gets himself a creepy man van. <laughs> A white van with no windows, uh-huh. if you don't know. Oh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, you know, he drives around and he kind of follows Miranda around. Does he have candy? No. Sorry. No, no. He's got the hurt dog story. Oh. Mm. Yeah, so he drives around, watches her. And at one point, it's raining outside and she decides that she's not going to, like, go home in the rain so she's gonna duck in and like watch a movie or something and then when she comes out she's hoping the rain's the rain's done so he waits for her to get out of the movie and she you know before she went in she phoned her roommate was like hey i'm gonna catch a movie and then i'll go home it's raining and i don't want to walk in that so he waits for her and parks a little like he sees that she's walking and so he kind of you know parks a little in front gets out opens the back of his van and you know she's walking by and he's all like hey do you know anything about, like, have you seen this little dog? And he, like, describes a dog, like, in the neighborhood. She's like, why? And he's like, well, I accidentally hit a dog. And I think it belongs to someone here in this neighborhood. But, I like, I was just driving. I have no idea. And so she was like, oh, well, it sounds like such and such is dog. And so she goes around to the back of the van to see if Never it's... Never go around to the back of the van. <laughs> right? 
And so he, of course, and he's got chloroform, and he chloroforms her. Oh. And you mean there was no dog at all? There even? was no dog. <laughs> Not a dog. How did he know that her neighbor's dog looked like that? Because he'd been driving around watching her for days. All right. <laughs> so, throws her into the back of the van, ties her up, takes off. And um, she starts to wake up from the chloroform as he's driving towards the middle of nowhere towards this little college cottage and so she like looks really distressed Mm -hmm. and so he takes the gag off of her and she throws up oh and so it's like this is already kind of not going as planned yeah Yeah. (laughs) um gets her back to the cottage makes her go into the inner cellar and now she's there and he's bought clothes for her (gasps) and underwear and He's got this whole little place set up. Did he even go through the the trying to ask her out? Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. He never once actually spoke to her. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway. Go ahead. <laughs> so, he's got her down there. Mm. And Miranda, she's... She's kind of a firecracker. Mm-hmm. Like, she's... She's like, okay, I need to survive this. But she's also like, um, yeah, you need to stay over there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Wow. But she realizes pretty quick that he's kind of a wimp. Oh. And so if she's kind of mean to him or whatever, like, he's just like, oh, all right. You know? Wow. Um, when she tells him to leave, he leaves. <laughs> you know like he hasn't tried to do anything to her sexually or anything like that mm-hmm. um he's pretty much got in his mind that you know he's gonna show her how great he is and she's gonna fall in love with him okay um don't kidnap <laughs> and expect someone to love you like i'm just that's pretty good i'm advice. just gonna i'm just gonna throw that that's, out there that's <laughs> see now you're you're messing with my plan because <laughs> that's how i'm gonna escape i mean i think i'm kind of with miranda here well she she kind of you know she <laughs> at some point she gets him to agree to let her go after being there for like six weeks or something mm-hmm. and she's pretty sure that he's just lying to her but you know something to hold on to mm-hmm. he buys her whatever she wants and so even if she's just sort of sitting there talking about like she wanted to read this book or whatever like he'll go buy her stuff mm-hmm. um he feeds her you know whatever it is that she wants to eat um but you know all in, throughout the entire time she's thinking like i gotta escape i gotta escape i gotta escape mm-hmm. and so the first half is him and his perspective and the second half is all her journals because he you know she was an artist so he Mm. she had things to draw with and write on and all that he bought a record player records it you know well he had all this money yeah yeah yeah, he had all this money and so the the second part was about like all her journals and at first her journals were really irritating because okay. I was just like, wow, okay. But, you know, you're doing a lot of introspective mm-hmm. thinking and thinking about your life and thinking about the past. And she's got nothing else to do, mm-hmm. you know. So she's planning her escape and also thinking back on her life. Um, 
she knew who he was. Like, she'd seen him before. Also, he won the freaking lottery. So he was in the oh. newspapers. Yeah. <laughs> like, seriously, dude. Like, she knows who you are. <laughs> but, hmm. so he can't really let her go. And he has no intention of letting her go. Mm-hmm. But, so he spends his entire time. He buys himself a nice camera because he likes to take pictures of you know butterflies and so on and he does collect butterflies um he tells her about his hobby which is weird you know you catch these butterflies you put them in a jar and you suffocate them to death and mm-hmm. then pin them on some some nice board it's like yeah normal hobby <laughs> <laughs> but he also likes to kind of be in like little lover's lane and mm-hmm. take some pictures. Nothing nasty, as he says. Just a couple of couples. Uh. And I'm like, okay, dude. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so after she's been there for a while, he wants to take pictures of her. Uh-huh. Again, nothing nasty. Just, you know, her sitting, reading, you know, putting her hair up. Just and so on. And so she's like, okay. Like, what? What's she gonna do? Right. <laughs> so she's like, all right. So he takes some pictures and she's just like, all right, that was weird. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, at first she's like, he's gonna rape me, murder me, and that's <gasps> it. But he doesn't. Like, he never even tries to. I know what he's gonna do. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> no. <coughs> you don't think. I don't know. Okay, uh, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> doors are there for a reason, right? Well, I don't know. What are you thinking? I'm thinking. Yes, that's what I'm thinking. No. No? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we thought we had it. Yeah. No. Because so, he's taking the pictures because she's so pretty. Like yeah. Butterfly. He's very much in love with her. Okay. Or in love okay, with so the idea. I'll just of say, Don and I thought <laughs> that he was going to suffocate her and pin her somewhere <laughs> like his her. butterflies and keep yes. her forever. No. But okay. Denise says no. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. What happened? Nope. So at some point, Miranda does start to feel really sorry for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's yeah. yeah. You're with somebody, and that's the only person you're with for a while. You kind of yeah. Yeah. I understand and that. but she's also like you know, he's kind of a wimp. You know, has absolutely no nothing going for it. Yeah, like. <laughs> At this point, he's got a bunch of money, but he doesn't know what to do with it. He's not even a very good bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So she's just kind of like, you know, trying to talk to him and just being like, you know, I can help you. Like, mm-hmm. once I get out of here, like, I'm not just going to abandon you. And, you know, we can, I was like, I can introduce you to people and, you know, you, you can do some good with your money and, you mm-hmm. know, just trying to be like, you can, you can be better than this. Yeah. Um, but... He doesn't really want that either. Like, he's just... No, he's got the best world. He's just he's just a blob. Like, he's not... He doesn't really want anything. Yeah. And so, at some point, you know, Miranda's just like, okay, so he wants me to fall in love with him. Uh-huh. Like, he wants... That's what he wants. So, throughout the story, like, she's managed to convince him to let her go upstairs, like, go into the actual house... 
so she can take a shower and bathe mm-hmm. and so on. Okay. Because, you know, doesn't want her to be all stinky and stuff. That's just going <laughs> to ruin the illusion. Yeah, right. And so, you know, he does, he does all that for her and takes her up there and she bathes. And um, after one of these incidents where she gets to go up there and take a bath, she decides that she's going to make a move on him. You know, that once he thinks that she's in love with him and so on, that maybe she'll have a chance and she can she can bolt. Mm-hmm. Well, this kind of backfires on her. Mm. Uh-oh. Because it totally ruined the illusion that he had <gasps> of her oh. in his mind. Oh. So he lost all respect for her. Oh, no. All that respect he had. Oh, yeah. All that respect. Mm -hmm. And so it ended up backfiring on her. One of her escape attempts I thought was pretty brilliant. Mm -hmm. Like she'd been down there for a bit and then she put some salt in her water and right before he came down she drank it. So then she was throwing up when he got in there. Mm -hmm. And so she was throwing up and she was talking like that her... You know, she had appendicitis and she was in so much pain and she needed, you know, she needed to go to a mm-hmm. hospital and he couldn't just let her die. And so, you know, at first he's like, is this for real? Is she lying? You know, and then he's like, well, I'm going to pretend to go with it and I'm going to leave all the doors unlocked, run upstairs like I'm going to call the doctor. And if she comes out, like trying to escape, mm-hmm. then it's a big lie. And if not, then I got to figure out what to do. Mm-hmm. So... He does that. He's like, okay, I'm going to go call a doctor and, you know, runs up, leaves all the doors unlocked. And at first she's like, does he believe me? Does he not believe me? He could be out there. But then she's like, I got to take the, I got to take the chance. Uh So she goes up there and he's waiting for her like outside of the the multiple cellars. (laughs) He's waiting for her. And so she like gets up to the door, sees some light and sky. And then she sees him and she just. Turns around and walks back into the room. Oh, oh man. She's just like. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that was good, though. I was like, you were really trying. Couldn't she have ran? <laughs> I haven't heard anything about a gun at this point. Anyway, go ahead. And so <clears throat> that was her first escape attempt. The second time she tried to escape, she almost had him. Mm-hmm. Like, he... When she wanted to go upstairs to bathe and all that, like he had to do some modifications to make sure that she couldn't escape. <clears throat> so he had a little hatchet that he had used to cut up some wood to, you know, reinforce some windows and some doors and so on. And he had left it just kind of on the side. Mm. And so when she walked in, she saw it, mm-hmm. but she didn't, you know, try to try to do anything. She went up, had her bath and so on. And because it was the middle of the night, and they're out kind of in the middle of nowhere. Like, he would let her walk around the house. She had her hands tied up. But, you know, just let her walk around and look. And she hated, like, the way he decorated the place. She was like, ugh, this is awful. <laughs> <laughs> and she would break his stuff. Oh, <laughs> no. She's like, this is hideous. Crash. <laughs> She's just like. <laughs> so the other family hadn't come back, obviously. Mm-hmm. Okay. No. No, he had this place all to himself and so on. And so, like, he's not really sure what what to do about what's going on here. And she grabs a hatchet. And she has no intention of killing him. 
but mm-hmm. she so she uses the blunt side and just goes at him but he kind of sees her turns and so she gets him in the shoulder and so she's like i'm running and so she tries to um hit him again and she hits him on the side of the head but again she's not trying to kill him uh-huh. but she's not very strong and so he starts bleeding and so she's like you know i can make it i can run uh she doesn't she doesn't make it oh. he grabs her and takes her back down to her inner cellar and so then she's just sort of like okay <laughs> <laughs> like but he didn't, didn't kill her for trying to no no he was really mad at her but he he wasn't gonna kill her and so he's at this point they're both mad at each other <laughs> <laughs> And so after she makes her seduction attempt and things really do kind of shift and he's not, he's just really not all that interested in her anymore. He's just kind of like, you know, mad and what am I going to do with her and kind of getting fed up with her. She gets sick. Like she actually gets sick for real. Mm-hmm. And he thinks, of course, that this is like the other time and she's faking. Yeah. So he gets a thermometer, checks her temperature. She's not faking. She is sick. And she's starting to breathe really shallowly and making these weird noises when she breathes. And she's pretty sure she's got pneumonia. And she's like, you know, you can't let me die. I was like, that that would be murder. And I know you, like, mm-hmm. you don't want me to die. And so she's like, you can't let me die. I was like, you need to get a doctor or you need to take me to the hospital or something. But, you know, please don't let me die. Mm-hmm. And so he goes and gets medicine because he thinks she's got the flu and she takes the medicine, and it doesn't do anything, and she just gets worse and worse, and her temperature just goes up and up, and when he goes down there to check on her again, like, she's delirious, she's just talking all kinds of nonsense, and she's got a huge fever, and so she's just, she's Mm -hmm. gone, Mm -hmm. and so he's like, okay, I have to get her a doctor, and he's like, right now, she's delirious, so whatever she says, I can be like, She's been yeah, she's been right. talking crazy. Yeah. Like oh. so so he's like, okay, I'm gonna take her upstairs, put her in the bed, and go get a doctor, and then just be like, you know, I knew she was sick. I gave her some medicine, but it got worse, and she's talking craziness. Uh-huh. I was like, as you can see, there is <laughs> like, you know, she's my girlfriend or whatever. Like right. just like, wow. I can make something up. So he goes to because he didn't live in this little town like mm-hmm. he just bought this house that mm-hmm. fell in his lap yeah that he wasn't looking for <laughs> just happened to have some yeah so he went to the pharmacist and was like can you recommend a doctor you know nearby because he doesn't live there he has no idea of any of this and the pharmacist is like oh yeah you know here's a list of doctors and this one's like right across right around the corner and so so he goes over there well the place is full and there's patients waiting to see the doctor. Right. And him being who he is, he's all like, all these people are looking at me. And I'm really uncomfortable. And uh, I'm just going to stand here. I was like, you're okay. This is, this is good, I uh-huh. guess. You're just going to stand there? Like, what? You're going to wait for someone to talk to you? You're going to wait for a doctor to talk to you? Like, wow. <laughs> you don't even go up to, like, the registration and uh-huh. be like, hi. Yeah, first it's like, where do you think you're going to find a doctor that's going to come to your house to mm-hmm. see this person? Right. 
Like, and so, do we do that anymore? No. Well, this was like the sixties or something. Yeah. Well, in I never England. had a doctor make out <laughs> in England. I was <laughs> okay. All right. Who okay. knows? Okay. Who knows? I have no clue. Okay. But. But he doesn't actually talk to anybody. <laughs> he gets so uncomfortable being there, and everybody's looking at him. Because he won the lottery, and they know who he is. <laughs> yeah. And so he leaves. And he's um, like, I'm going to come back. Because, you know. I'll come back when no one's here. When no one's here, yeah. When nobody's sick. Yeah. That's oh, fine. Man. And so he leaves, goes back home. She is, of course, worse. Mm-hmm. So then he's like, okay, I could just... Take her to the hospital. Just dump her and run. Mm-hmm. Like I could just take her to the hospital, dump her there, and and leave. Like by the time she gets well enough to be able to tell them who I am, like I would, I could pack up and go and so on. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm gonna do in a little bit. Oh, <laughs> and then he's just sort of like, all right, yeah, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna put on my shoes, and then after a while. And then I'm just like, dude, yeah, <laughs> like, figure out your life, <laughs> like do it or don't do it. Wow. But you're just like, you know, I'm going to do it because I don't want her to die, but I don't want to get caught and it's just so much work to like pack up my stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, he didn't seem to take that much time to figure out to buy a van and oh, throw yeah. her in yeah. the back All of that it. just kind of fell in his lap. Oh, yeah, this is... <laughs> that was an opportunity. This is a problem. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. And she dies. Mm. From her sickness. She dies. Mm. Because he <sighs> hemmed and hawed and did nothing. And Aww. she died. So now he's got a dead body. Mm-hmm. And two cellars. Right. <laughs> two cellars. <laughs> and so... He takes her back down to the cellar and, you know, closes the door, decides that he's going to get some sleep because he didn't get any sleep. She was sick and, like, talking and stuff, and he couldn't sleep. Oh, my God. So he goes and takes takes a little nap. And he had decided that he was going to kill himself, that he was going to go and buy some stuff to kill himself, some flowers, and send a letter to the police letting them know where he was where they were and so he was going to make it look all love story tragic and it was you know and they died together and so but then he's going to hem and haw and he's not going to do that either Uh (laughs) okay yeah so he wakes up goes and buys the flowers and whatever it is he's going to use to kill himself with and goes down there and he decides that he's going to look through her stuff one more time oh and he finds her journals And in her journal, she talked about how much she hated him. Uh-huh. I was like, well, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but also, she talked about, and this this poor girl had predators all over the place. So she was 20 years old and an art student, and her aunt introduced her to a, not a, a famous painter, but kind of a well-known mm-hmm. painter in the, in the circles, and he's like 40 years old. Mm-hmm. At least twice her age. Mm -hmm. And they become friends. And so this entire time, he the the guy's like, you know, that he just wants to mentor her and teach her and blah, blah, blah. And her entire journals are about 
his opinions and how right he is about everything. Hashtag and, me uh, too. And, uh-huh. yeah. and she's like, oh, you know, he's all this and so great, but, you know, he's so much older and I'm not sexually attracted to him, blah, 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 until later on it's all like, all I can think about is him and I love him and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and so she, like, talks about some of the times that they were together and he's like, I'm like, can you not see that he is definitely trying to prey on you? And then at one point he's all like, do you want to go to bed? And I'm like, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> like, but yeah, I'm just like, man, <laughs> there's just, she's just surrounded by awful mm. men. Mm. And so he reads her journal and he's like, well, it's a good thing I decided not to kill myself because, <sighs> you know, she hated me and she all she did was talk about herself and how much she loved this other guy. And it's just like, well, did you think you had a great relationship anyway? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just like, wow. really? <laughs> she's locked in your cellar, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes she's nice to you. <laughs> not a necessity. <laughs> and so he decides that he's going to basically construct her a coffin and bury her out there in the middle of his nowhere land hmm. and no one's ever no one's ever gonna know who, where she is or or anything like that mm-hmm. and he's you know really sad about her not being there and he misses her and you know it's just so sad but when he went to the shop to buy the flowers and so on there was this oh. nice girl there was a girl that was walking by that looked so much like Miranda. Not as pretty, but he learned his lesson about pretty girls. So, you know, he decided that he was going to follow this one around. Mm-hmm. Found out what her name was, which also started with an M. And, you know, he does miss Miranda. and Oh, it's so sad. But, hey, there's this girl now. Time to move on. Mm-hmm. So the sto- story starts anew. That's how it ends with him being like, "Oh man, there's this girl." Oh my goodness! The collecting begins. Uh huh. Hmm. So, mm-hmm. this book was apparently a favorite of serial killer Leonard Lake, who loved this book so much that he called his killings um the miranda project (gasps) oh my goodness yeah oh so he had apparently read the book let's see in his 1983 diary entry he wrote ah the collector has it really been near 20 years i've carried this fantasy and miranda how fitting my lovely little prisoner of the future i suppose in my way I am the same wimp as the hero, and in my way, just as crazy. I have no doubt that we wimps have been compensating for our inability since the dawn of history. Sad, really. Still, how can we die if we never live? Well, let me show you. Yeah. (laughs) So let me tell you a little something about Leonard Lake. So Leonard Lake was born in San Francisco, when he was six years old, his parents separated, and he ended up going to live with his maternal grandmother, him and his siblings. 
he was reportedly a bright child, but after habitually photographing his sister's nude, which his grandmother apparently encouraged, he became obsessed with pornography. He reportedly extorted his sisters to perform sexual acts. Wow. He also collected mice and killed them by dissolving them in chemicals. In the same manner, he would later dispose of his human victims. Oh, Oh my my gosh. Goodness. So, in 1964, he enlisted in the United States Marine Corps. He served two tours of duty in Vietnam. He was first diagnosed with schizoid personality disorder and was medically discharged in 1971. He enrolled at the University of San Jose, San Jose State University, and he dropped out after one semester upon becoming enamored with the hippie lifestyle. (laughs) He moved to a commune where he married briefly in 1975. The marriage dissolved after his wife discovered that he was making and appearing in amateur pornographic movies that involved bondage and sadomasochism. Then he lived in Greenfield Ranch, where he met and married Clara Lynn Balaz, <clears throat> nicknamed Cricket, who became involved in his fantasies and appeared in many of his pornographic films. So basically, she was into it. Mm-hmm. And so that was, you know, that was all right until he met fellow Marine Charles Ng through a War Gamer magazine advertisement that he placed in 1981. In 1984, Ng was dishonorably discharged after serving time for theft and desertion. And so Lake invited him to share a cabin that he was renting from Balaz. Next to the cabin, he had built a structure that he called the dungeon. And by this, po- by this point, he had already murdered his brother and his friend and best man, Charles Gunner, and he stole Gunner's identity. So over the next year, Lake and Ng began a pattern of rape, torture, and murder. They basically just went on a little killing spree. They killed their neighbor, Lonnie Bond, his girlfriend, Brenda O'Connor, their infant son, Lonnie Jr., and they killed Harvey and Deborah Dubbs and their son, Sean. And see, according to the records, they killed the men and infants immediately but kept the women alive, raping and torturing them before murdering them or allowing them to die of their injuries. The other victims were relatives and friends that went looking for their friends and family. Wow. So... In 1985, Ng was caught shoplifting a vice from a hardware store in San Francisco, and he fled the scene. Blake decided that he was going to drive to the store and attempt to pay for the vice. (laughs) But by then, the police had arrived. So the officers noticed that Lake bore no resemblance to the photo on his driver's license. (laughs) which carried the name of Robin Stapley, a San Diego man reported missing by his family several weeks earlier. Mm. Mm. So he was arrested after a gun equipped with a prohibited silencer was found in the trunk of his vehicle and later positively identified via fingerprint search. So while in custody, Blake swallowed cyanide pills (gasps) that he had sewn into his clothes and died four days later. 
Wow. Oh, yeah. my goodness. So, <clears throat> the police found the residence because the license plate on Lake's vehicle was registered to him, but the vehicle itself was registered to Paul Cosner, who had disappeared in November of 84. So, the auto registration led detectives to the property where they found Stapley's truck, Vaughn's car, behind the cabin, and they found the dungeon. They also found a makeshift burial site where they unnerved, unearthed roughly 40 pounds of burned and crushed human bone fragments corresponding to a minimum of 11 bodies. Wow. They found a hand-drawn treasure map leading them to two buried five-gallon buckets. One contained an assortment of ID papers and personal possessions suggesting that the total victim count could be as high as 25. In the other were Lake's handwritten journals for the years 1983 and 84 and two videotapes documenting their torture of Brenda O'Connor and Deborah Dubs. So, he's dead. And his wife, Clara Lynn, cooperated with investigators and received legal immunity from prosecution. So who here believes that she knew nothing about what he was doing? Yeah, that mm. does make you wonder. Wow. So the court stated that Balas turned over weapons and other materials to authorities during the investigation. And again, I'm like, you gave her immunity? Mm-hmm. She was called as a key witness to Ng's trial in 1999. Wow. Yeah. I- so... Ng's lawyer, William Kelly, dismissed the Balaz without asking any questions. And he never explained his actions. Basically, what he did was he had her sit in the witness stand for a few minutes as he read sections of her immunity agreement. And I guess that was it. The end. Yeah, that's it. Didn't ask her any questions. That was it. Uh, Ng was captured in Canada and eventually extradited to California, which explains why it took so long from... Mm because he ran to Canada. And Canada doesn't extradite if you're going to seek the death penalty. Right. So, hmm. he was indicted on 12 counts of first-degree murder. Despite the video evidence and detailed information in Lake's diaries, Ng maintained that he was merely an observer, mm. that Lake planned and committed all of it unassisted. In February 1999, Ng was convicted of 11 of the, two, of the 12 homicides, six men, three women, and two male infants. Jurors deadlocked on the 12th charge. And Ng was sentenced to death. As of August of 2018, he is still on death row. There have been no executions in California since 2006. Right. Hmm. So, he will probably be there for the rest of his life. So, Lake, yeah, he's just like the guy in that book. Yeah, because he even committed uh, suicide. The other guy thought about it, but then found the diaries and didn't. Yeah, it turned out Miranda wasn't oh. all he thought she yeah. was. Even, but, you know, it's just like, man, whatever girl you thought Miranda was was not even close mm. to a real person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Like, yeah. So at what point in all this, all these events did, was, did he read this book? Did he read it, like, before he started killing people? Or? <laughs> well, sounded that in, way. The 80, in his 83 diary... It had been nearly 20 years since he... Since so he when read. was he born? 
He was born in 45. Okay. So he got that book when he was about 18. Sounds like. Yeah, because this was published in 63. Okay, so he got it new. Mm-hmm. Wow. He had been carrying that around yeah. in his head wow. for for all that time. And then I guess whenever he met Charles Ng, it was just like, Hey, I, I got this fantasy. Yeah. You can help me. That is so bizarre that somebody, I mean, I don't know what he was like before. Obviously, you said he had like, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's- so, sorry. <laughs> right. I, I do remember now. <laughs> it's like, he was not. <laughs> but to think that you pick up this book, this fiction book, and you read it, and you're like, this is this is it. This, this is, is what, what I, I want to do with yeah. my life. This is the fantasy I'm going to carry around for 20 years until I can do something about it. Mm. Gee whiz. Okay, he's a psycho. Mm-hmm. Okay. See, see what I mean? I was like, when I when I was reading this, I told on. I was like, like, man, my serial killer is all crazy sauce. <laughs> and I was like, and for me to say that, <laughs> right? Hmm. Okay. Ted well, Ted Bundy's starting to sound like a normal person, right? Yeah. I was like, well. <laughs> Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I know. Well, I read the book, The Secret Agent. Okay. I didn't finish it. I only got through like chapter six and then I read a summary of part of it. Was it slow? It, it was kind of slow and, and it was kind of hard to read. And for the first time ever, I was reading a book on my phone. Mm. And um, I think that was made it a little more difficult mm-hmm. for some reason. Um, it was also um, old enough to be on Project Gutenberg, okay. so we couldn't get a copy of it. Um, but being on Project Gutenberg, you can get that on anybody's ebook mm-hmm. um, software. So um, it was about a secret agent. No. <laughs> <laughs> This guy was kind of undercover, and he was working for um, kind of revolutionary people. Mm-hmm. This is in London, and um, he he gets married, and he has like an underground business. He it's like he's got a store, but it's a it's a front for something mm. else, which I never really figured out what that was for Hmm. um he would go out at night and do his business but his wife never really knew what the deal was and so they get married and um the wife's mother comes to live with them and the son who is um has mental challenges um and so that she runs the business as well during the day Mm -hmm. and and all that okay so it goes into um him going to visit somebody at I'm sorry I I was not big on details with this whole thing (laughs) somebody in the government um I don't think it was the commissioner but somebody like that Mm -hmm. and um the guy's like you've been on our payroll for 11 years what are you doing um and He's like, well, I've written up all this stuff. And he's like, that's crap. You know, <laughs> I was even paying you for 11 years and you haven't done anything. He's like, I'm ready to get, stir up some stuff to get the, to wake up the, the people. 
and uh, it's revolution time yes <laughs> right and um so he he kind of alludes to the fact that he needs to I don't want to say bomb necessarily because those words weren't actually thrown about at that time. (laughs) Um, But, you know, do something pretty drastic that involves people and hurting them. So what time period are we talking about? Um, 1880 time frame. Okay. Yeah. So it was was a while ago. And this was written in like the early 1900s, I guess. I don't have the copyright with me. (laughs) So... He's pretty put out because he feels like he's been doing his job under this other person that, that now mm-hmm. there's a new guy. And, and so he's like, he's just put out. Mm-hmm. Well, he, he gathers his terrorist friends who are old and who have gained weight. And <laughs> it's been 11 years. <laughs> right. They're, and him too. I mean, they're just not ready to... To go do anything. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Except it sounds like they're not very good at their job. Right. Yeah. Except not. Maybe a a salmon. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So I get to this point where there's a bombing and they think it's, um, I think his name is Vladimir. Verloc. Verloc was the one uh, who owned the shop and all that was his last name. And so he goes up to, um, uh, his belongings were found in the bomb area. And so then we start talking to the professor who is the bomb maker. And um, his focus is making the perfect detonator. But you don't know if you have the perfect detonator <laughs> unless you test it. Right. So you only you get go. to observe it one time. <laughs> <laughs> so he just kind of wants to test his detonators, I guess. Um, so this bomb goes off and one person is killed, only one person. So it's like they think, oh, these anarchists that's, are that's not, men. A good, yeah. not a good bomb. Right. It's, um, and then it's one amateur other. hour at this yeah. Anacard. <laughs> yeah. So the um, one person is seen walking away. Two people were seen entering, and I think one was seen walking away. One didn't make it. Two <laughs> yeah. Two <laughs> and they were seen holding a canister. Hmm. So that was kind of their canister bomb. Um, so that's about the point where I stopped reading. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh, my gosh. The Verloc, he died. He blew himself up because <laughs> he was so disappointed that maybe he wasn't able to do the job and that kind of stuff. No, that's not what happened. Um, <laughs> no. He had actually um, started getting involved with his, um, I guess, brother-in-law but um the his wife treated him like it was uh, her brother like it was she was his mother because of his disabilities mm-hmm. and she really just took care of him but the the husband verloc didn't want anything to do with them but then all of a sudden he found this renewed interest in him hmm. and um well come to find out they were the two that went in into this bomb and the brother died yes and um, it was an accident that he, he just, I don't know what happened that he didn't get out, but he was the one who died. I don't know if it was really an accident yeah. because it says, there was one point that it said that he basically landed on his chest, the bomb did, and mm. kind of, yeah, didn't look very good. But mm. 
So then it goes on to talk about how he goes back and like the police start to come and all that and he realizes that he's caught and he tells the wife that about what happened mm-hmm. with the brother. And she was so mad mm-hmm. about her her brother mm-hmm. being killed and in that in that way that she stabs Verloc and she killed him. Okay, so um, she tries to escape and the country because she doesn't want to be considered a murderer mm-hmm. and um, so she goes to one of uh, Verloc's terrorist people <laughs> and um, he's he tries to help but then he finds out that she murdered him and she's like he's like no I don't want to have anything to do with you which is so weird yeah because they're all like yeah. murderers I, anyway yeah yeah <laughs> Let's plan a bombing. Oh wait, he right. murdered someone. <laughs> Ooh. So, but it was his buddy. Yeah. yeah. So let me just tell you, that's all I know. Okay. <laughs> so this is a cliffhanger. If you want to read the book, you need to go figure out what happened with the secret agent. But this is what Ted Kaczynski was uh, reading. Um, and I don't know at what point he was reading this book, but I I kind of feel like he was. Uh, fixated on the bomber, the professor, mm-hmm. and um, you know, trying to get the perfect, mm-hmm. maybe the perfect bomb. But a little bit about Ted Kaczynski. Um, he was a Harvard graduate. Mm-hmm. I did not know. I didn't mm-hmm. know a lot. Let me just say the only thing. Ted I've- Bundy went to Harvard Law School. Isn't I mean, he dropped crazy? out after one semester, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and the judge in his sentencing was like, "You could have made a really good lawyer." Yeah, but you know, yeah, yeah, you. You, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Um. So I love this well, part. And didn't he go to Harvard like when he was like sixteen? Or yes. Sorry, what, what was it? Harvard? What was the? Yeah, it was Harvard. I'm pretty sure. When he was like sixteen or something yes. like that. Wow. Mm-hmm. He was sixteen, and so. Uh, in 2012, his response to the 50th reunion of the class of 1962, mm. in query when he listed his occupation as prisoner <laughs> and his eight life sentences as awards. <gasps> oh my gosh. Wow. Oh, no. <gasps> anyway. He's a funny guy. Right? <laughs> so... I know a lot of people probably know uh, about who he was. When when I started reading this, the only thing I knew was that he lived in Montana and was the only person involved in this bombing stuff. Mm-hmm. So Denise made uh, the comment that Unabomber stood for something, and it does. It stands for University Airline Bombings. So the UN, the A, and the BOM. That's what he targeted. Unibomb, yes, because he his bombs were um, at universities. He did target airlines. Um, let's see. Huh. I remember growing up and hearing about the Unibomber, and I thought he was just called the Unibomber because there was just one of them. He was a solo But then I saw the spelling, and I thought, well, that's not right, but I'm not going to worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. not going to try to figure out what else that means. Maybe somebody just misspelled it. <laughs> Because he was the only bomber. (laughs) It wasn't until I read this that I figured it out. Okay, anyway. It's kind of a play on words. (laughs) 
All right. So he started in 1978. Um, he sent a homemade bomb to Northwestern University. Hmm. And when um, the professor who got it, it was a return to sender. He said, I didn't send it. So he took it to the security guard. The security guard tried to open it, and it went off. Ah. It didn't kill him, but he did get injured um, from it. And so that was his um, start of using the homemade bombs. He targeted uh, American Airlines Flight 444 in 79, and the president of United Airlines, Percy Wood, in 1980, University of Utah in 81, Janet Smith... Secretary of Vanderbilt University in 82, uh, an engineering professor at the University of California at Berkeley in 82. So there were definitely a bunch of those, Mm. but they were all random and they were investigators later, later learned they were chosen randomly from library research. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Okay. Anyway, his first murder victim was a computer software shop owner or computer store owner. And then he murdered an advertising executive. They had over 150 people on this task force that they created. 17 years it took them to, to um, mm. get him. He... Um, threatened other airlines and so people were you know fearful so finally i think it was in 1985 they published his um what did they call it industrial society and its future Mm -hmm. you got that okay why do you have that is that in oh you printed that okay i thought it was something with connection with your guy i'm like what (laughs) you read something okay anyway um it was his manifesto and so they they published it, and his sister-in-law read it and recognized the fact ah. that it sounded like him. So she told her husband, which was his brother, he's like, he was thinking, oh, yeah, I'm just going to read this, and it's mm-hmm. not going to be him. But he read it, and he's like, yeah, this sounds like him. So they gave, they turned over other documents mm-hmm. that he had written, and uh, they were able to... Um, determined that mm-hmm. it was him that had written wow. this linguistic forensics yes yeah. so david his younger brother saw his eccentric older brother older sibling style copy from joseph conrad's novel the secret agent mm-hmm. he grew up with a copy of the book by his bedside okay and read it some two dozen times mm. wow Okay, so now I want to finish it to see what the deal was. Mm-hmm. So, going to Harvard, then he he um, he ends up moving to Salt Lake City and then to Montana. And his brother helps him make this this shack. Basically, they call it a little cabin, but it's tiny mm-hmm. um, that he lives in. And so, so do, does anyone in his family wonder why he wants to move off in the middle of nowhere, or do they understand that he's just kind of not good with people or something well, like that. I think he always talked about how technology was just kind of ruining society. Okay. Like okay. he was very much about okay. living off the land, no oh, electricity, okay. and he really thought that that So they just thought he was eccentric. Mhm. Okay. Because he was a, a mathematics professor. 
I don't remember where. Um, but yeah, he mm. was. He has an IQ of 165. Mm-hmm. He's very brilliant. I mean, yeah. Crazy, too, <laughs> yes. Evil genius. So, one thing that I, I found. Okay, so he is actually. Um, they arrest him at the cabin. He does struggle a little bit. They finally get him in handcuffs and they go in and start looking around. And there are canisters, like household canisters with like old oatmeal containers and different things. I was watching this little video that they were showing the cabin and um, he had just different chemicals Mm -hmm. in them. Um, There was also a bomb that was completed, ready to go off under the bed. Um, They said that he had a toilet that was like just a hole inside the cabin. You would think that he would have had that outside the cabin. Mm -hmm. So... (laughs) Smell nope. very good. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of a connection, I think, to that canister bomber mm-hmm. kind of mentality. Um, so he didn't want to do an insanity plea, but he later tried to attempt suicide. And so they did a psychiatric evaluation and determined that he was um, paranoid schizophrenia. And... So he got a plea bargain so that he wouldn't get the death penalty. Mm-hmm. But he did get eight consecutive um, life sentences. And he is at the Alcatraz of the Rockies, which is the United States Pen- Penitentiary Administrative Maximum Facility, ADX, in Florence, Colorado, known as the Alcatraz of the Rockies. He spends 23 hours a day in secluded uh, secluded in his cell and the cell is about the same size just slightly bigger than his cabin Hmm. wow (laughs) oh that's interesting Mm -hmm. and with a working toilet (laughs) right right exactly um they say that he's actually very socially connected and um in prison and he's struck up friendships with other inmates such as the Oklahoma City bomber, Timothy McVeigh, mm. and the 1993 World Trade Center bomber, Ramzi Youssef. They formed a club. Yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> he writes letters to thousands of pen pals on the outside. Pen pals. Um, I would keep an eye on those people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the FBI has a list <laughs> of his pen pals. <laughs> yes. Let's see. This is what was interesting, and this is the part that I didn't quite understand. And I'm just going to read it because I want you to help me with it. The story of his three-year-long participation in a Harvard psychological experiment headed by Henry Murray aimed to discover the limits of psychiatric deconstruction through weekly encounters with humiliation continues to garner interest. Indeed, some suggest his experiment may have caused Mm -hmm. lifelong damage to young Kaczynski, Mm -hmm. who entered Harvard on scholarship at age 16 and describes this as the worst experience of his life. Hmm. Oh, so it says that he he reaches out 
to media from behind bars regularly. So, so I, I'm guessing that he was in this study mm-hmm. when he was in Harvard at 16, 17, 18. Mm-hmm. And that's what caused him to... Well, at least it triggered things anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, wow. Right. So, I was reading something not not very long ago about um, some people... I can't remember why I was reading this or where I found it. So if if we had a conversation about that, say something. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was about high school kids um, and stuttering. Yes, and we talked about that we, during our pop sci. Right? Yes, yes, we did. Yeah. That was in pop sci. And so the the fact that the kids who were not stutterers but were put in the group with stutterers became stutterers and then couldn't stop. Yeah. Well, after a bunch of negative reinforcement. Right. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Oh, man. Because the other ones in the control group didn't. Right. It was all the, the negative, yeah, I guess, comments and feedback right. that they got. Talking about mm-hmm. what a terrible thing it is and how, well, how it makes you a bad person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's definitely some connections with... Mm-hmm. with the book it may not even though he may have had this at a younger age he may not have really thought much about it until after mm-hmm. going to harvard and all those triggers and then decided okay i'm wow. gonna mm-hmm. i am never signing up to be in a study again <laughs> <laughs> ever i wonder yeah. what they're really doing during all those sleep studies that people <laughs> 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 what's that about that's a good question. Wow. Man, so I'm really surprised all the things that, like, there are actually connections between yeah. these books and what these people did. I just thought really it was going to be, like, random, like, oh, and this person like this book, yeah. even though it has nothing. To, but no. they all... Nobody read Mary Poppins. Nobody read, you know, The Hungry Caterpillar. This is not what we're talking about mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Yikes. Uh, which is really interesting because tell us who you were going to read about and wh- what book. book. I was going to read The Catcher in the Rye. Who who read that? There was another <laughs> one, though, I that I thought you were going to read. Um, uh, oh, the... How uh, to Win Friends when, and Influence How to Win people. Friends and Influence and People. And it was uh, Charles, Charles Manson. Manson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, and that, yeah... That's that makes that's sense. an obvious connection. Yeah, obvious yeah. I mean, we, even without reading that book, I have read that book. It's very odd. I mean, yeah. it's like become an extrovert. That's the only way to be successful in life. That's basically mm-hmm. the premise I got from it. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe I because I'm not, and that's what I took <laughs> from it. It's, you will never be a success in life because you're not an extrovert. Thirty-six years. But huh. so, yeah. according to the article. Uh, Charles Manson loved Dale Carnegie's How to Win <gasps> Friends and Influence People. According to Jeff Gouin's book, Manson, The Life and Times of Charles Manson, he read the book and became obsessed, particularly with Chapter 7, How to Get Cooperation, which, as Gouin writes, contained advice that Charlie, Charlie oh my goodness. adopted as the most vital tool in his manipulative arsenal. Let the other fellow feel that the idea is his. Oh, my gosh. 
And then he apparently took the course <gasps> in prison. Use your powers for good, not evil. How to win friends and influence people. Oh. Manipulate them. How to manipulate <laughs> That's well, a yeah. kind of Machiavellian. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> oh, my God. I hate that. I hate to be manipulated. When I find out that I've been manipulated, <laughs> not happy. Right. Yep. Yeah. So this one, this situation is a little different. Mark David Chapman went out, bought a copy of Catcher in the Rye, and killed John Lennon, and then sat down on the curb and started to read. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So in the collector, they actually mention Catcher in the Rye. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Miranda really loved the book, and oh. so he got her a copy for her to read. And then she wanted him to read it because he was such a Holden. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> but you know, when you want somebody to read something, they're not going to get the same thing that you. Oh, no. You know, it's like, here, read this this page. You should read this. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yep. Anyway. And in her journal, she talked a lot about how certain people in her life were phonies. And I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> Wow. This was fascinating. Mm-hmm. I thought that was very interesting. The connections and all that. The Be careful what you read. The power of literature. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, if you've already got that kind of thing going on in your mind and you read something like that. Yeah. Because I really think that the collector was more about social class mm-hmm. than, yeah. <laughs> than, mm-hmm. than yeah. what it was, you know very literally saying, I yeah. think the undertones of it were about class yeah. and classism, mm-hmm. which I don't think Leonard like no, got he didn't that. get that. That's not, no. that wasn't what he was interested in. No. <laughs> no one's suggesting that by reading these books, these people became these killers. No. Right. It's just, it had an influence on people who I maybe who probably would have been killers like like anyway. Yeah. 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 Or maybe they just found an affinity. Yeah. Yeah. But, hmm. yeah. Wow. Right on. Okay. This has been the reading habits of criminals. No- notorious criminals, infamous criminals, murderers. Well, the ones we were talking about were definitely murderers. Yeah. <laughs> the long overdue podcast.